0: please take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter number one. Our ushers are making their way through the auditorium. If you did not receive a copy of this morning's notes, um, I invite you to raise your hand. They'll put one in your hand. That way, you can follow along this morning's message. It's great to see Adrian and Pam Reed in our services, visiting from Albuquerque. Thank you guys so much for being here today, and uh, welcome back to Tucson Baptist. I am also want to share with you this morning, we had 17 people in my office for the Starting Point new membership class, wasn't that exciting, that's a, that's a fantastic, and, um, and I have yet to hear how many were in the Spanish membership class, but the Lord's growing His church one by one. And um, I also want to say thank you for those who are normally sitting in the balcony, I know you've had great attitudes today about having to come down and sit with us, common folks down here on the main floor. <laughs> Um, but I, I thank you for for being sweet about that. Uh, but you don't want to be in the balcony right now. It's uh, it's hot up there. So in, in fact, it's so hot that our own music director forgot to finish singing the song before we shook hands. Wasn't that special this morning? Like you did not know what to do. Everybody was just standing, and he turned his back on you, and the words for the script, for the next for the song was still up there. But wasn't it great to meet new people around you and so we finished the song so I'm gonna pray we finish the message this morning too okay <laughs> Ephesians chapter number one I would like to preach a message this morning on a topic that every single person whether watching by livestream or seated here in the auditorium this morning every single person you must understand this doctrine from the Word of God In fact, I don't have anything funny to say this morning. Um, The whole purpose of this message is to teach on this Father's Day, following the uh, recent message I preached about anger, is to teach on a topic entitled, Forgiveness. I spent two weeks teaching and preaching on the topic, Let's All Get Angry the Right Way, but this morning, I'd like for us to look at forgiveness, God's greatest gift to me. Some of you may take me to task. I thought God's love is the greatest gift for me. I want you to listen carefully to the message this morning because I believe at the end of the message you understand that God's forgiveness is His greatest gift to me. In just two weeks, we're going to celebrate an annual tradition in America called the Fourth of July. It actually falls on Sunday this year, and assuming the fire threats abated, there will be fireworks celebrations uh, throughout our city and our county. Uh, already you can purchase fireworks at local stands or in the, in the grocery store, and so many people will set off fireworks uh, uh, in their neighborhoods to the delight of their family and those other people that live on their block, but sometimes... You might remember the firecrackers, um, uh, the, they fizzle. You light them and the, and the fuse lights and then there's no bang, there's no boom, whether it's the fuse wasn't properly attached or the gunpowder was damp. Uh, we like the boom. We like the noise. The bigger the bang, the better we like it. Uh, We fear not busted fingers or danger to the eyes and ears. We want that loud bang. You understand that? We don't want to light a firecracker. I would use dynamite, but none of us really have access to dynamite. So my illustration this morning will be firecrackers. Um, I want to say this. Forgiveness is much like a firecracker. And that being the case, I want us to go to our, uh, we normally stand, but because you're comfortable and we understand our situation this morning, you stay seated this morning. But let's follow along in our text. And we're going to try this during a responsive reading as you are seated there in Ephesians chapter number one. And it's going to set the stage for this morning's message. We're going to read verses two through seven. You will read the even verses. I'll read the odd verses. So we're going to begin in verse number two. So Pastor Howard, get us started there in verse number two. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I'm going to throw at you this morning five firecrackers, as I call them, of information about forgiveness. And my prayer is that all of us will be willing to seek and to accept forgiveness in whatever area the Holy Spirit might lead and guide you this morning. Would you listen to me for a moment? If you've never accepted the forgiveness of God... You need to do that today. It is the greatest story in all of the New Testament. Father, would you help us today? Would you help us to stay focused on the message? Oh, there's so many distractions. Vacation Bible school or 4th of July coming up or a family vacation or heat or cool. But Father, just for a few moments, could we just give a proper attention to you and what you have done for us Help us to discern and understand the truths that will be taught this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Firecracker number one. We have five of them. Firecracker number one. Forgiveness has tremendous power. Forgiveness has tremendous power. Consider with me all the different areas that this firecracker will cover when it explodes. Forgiveness is energized by the power of God. God himself, God is the one who puts the power behind forgiveness. Secondly, forgiveness is powerful over many different situations. When I think of this word forgiveness, it has the power to reconcile sinners to a holy God. It has the power to uh, reconcile sinners to a holy God. Forgiveness has the power to relegate the offenses of others. As you're taking notes, would you consider with me This topic of forgiveness is so often thought of as a wimpy, effeminate, less than manly topic because to accept or offer forgiveness would say, I am in need of forgiveness or I've done something wrong. Forgiveness is a powerful word that we don't often understand. Forgiveness has the power to repair damaged relationships. Forgiveness has the power to repair damaged relationships. Forgiveness has the power to remove bitterness and anger and wrath truly the power of forgiveness it'll fizzle for those who refuse to solve its puzzle or refuse to use its power what do I mean by a puzzle the puzzles of forgiveness and the inability to solve them have been evident in all civilizations although we're unwilling to seek forgiveness I want you to never forget that God has placed in every single one of us a conscience that will show us our guilt the Bible says there is none righteous no not one The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And even though this is exactly what the Word of God states, we often debate within ourselves and we will say things. And there are people seated here this morning who have said something like this. I know I do some things wrong, but I'm really a good person. At least I'm better than some other people I know. You don't understand. I do many things good surely God's going to give me credit for all the good that I do what additional good works can I do to overcome the bad and tip the scales in my favor with God because we're looking in ourselves as to the person who has the answer To this question, may I just say forgiveness finds its answer in God's word. Forgiveness finds its answer in God's word. God says this. I want you to listen to what God says about you and about me. He says this. Let's just put it in good old English. You are not good. That's what God says you are not good. As it is written, there is none righteous, no not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They're all going out of their way, they are together become unprofitable, there is none that doeth good, no not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit, the poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested or made known, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no good work that you can do that can pay for your sins. May I say that again? There is no good work that you can do to pay for your sins. Nobody will ever be justified by trying to do what is right. We must realize truly that the wages of sin is death. Galatians 2 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith. Of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It was God's love for man, God's grace, and Jesus' death on the cross in our place that made salvation even possible for men and women today. God said this, the only way that you can escape my righteous wrath is to accept my son. That's it. That's the only way. Instead of accepting what God said, man, for generation upon generation, it is trying to find the remedy for sin by himself. And this attempt is universal, and it characterizes one word. And it doesn't matter if you're in, in this denomination or you're in this cult. There's one thing that man has been doing for thousands upon years. What can I do to earn salvation? What can I do to earn favor with God? What can I do to appease the wrath of God? May I just tell you this morning, Christianity is not a religion of do. Christianity is a religion of done. It's already been done. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all for us. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said these words, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. But God commended this love toward us, and that while Brent, or you, was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. His death on the cross does for those who believe what no sinner can do for himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For the Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. My friend, forgiveness of sins is in Jesus' death, on the cross forgiveness of sins is in Jesus death on the cross this power is effective only for those who place their trust in his death on the cross by receiving him as their own personal Savior the same was the beginning it was in the beginning with God and the Bible says and they said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved May I just say forgiveness has tremendous power. If I were to throw another firecracker at you this morning, I would say this. Sinners, though, must pay the penalty for their sins. Sinners must pay the penalty for their sins. God declared that all have sinned. For all have sinned. And all have come short of the glory of God. God also declared that the wages of those sin is death, as I mentioned before. For the wages, what we earn, what we deserve, is death. By, by context, the death of in Romans 6 and verse 23 is a spiritual death. What that means is spiritual separation from God for all of eternity. I cannot understand for the life of me why someone would hear the message of Jesus Christ and they would turn their back and walk out not believing in him, when they understand that it is spiritual death to reject Jesus eternal separation in a place called hell for all of eternity and since all are sinners the wages of sin is death all must die spiritually and all deserve to be separated from God and every single one of us I don't care what denomination I don't care what religion you say you're from what cult that you've come from you're an agnostic you don't believe in anything that doesn't matter God's still God and he says listen if you don't believe in my son Jesus Christ you're going to be eternally separated in a place called hell all must die spiritually and unless we accept the forgiveness of God will be eternally separated for Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit Thus, forgiveness of sins is dependent upon someone to die for the sins of man. You know what? You must pay the penalty for your sin. But I'm so thankful to tell you this morning that there was someone who was willing to pay your penalty. What are the requirements for such a person? When I study the Word of God, this person who's willing to take my place, he must be sinless or he must die for his own sins. Either whoever's going to take my place, he's got to be sinless, or I've got to die for my own sins. This person must have a a sufficient value to pay for the sins of everyone. He must be infinite in value. It can't just be for one person. It must be for all. You know what? This person must be God. But wait a second. God cannot die, so this person must be a man. And since God has life in himself and cannot die, the person also must be a man. So therefore, we must have what's called a God-man. And you know what the Bible tells us? That took place. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Bible says in John 10, I and my Father are one. God-man, because Jesus, God the Son, is infinite in value, and took upon himself a human body. He lived a sinless life on earth. He was able, he was the only person able to die for all. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The idea of for, or it means in the place of, he who was sinless, he died on the cross. And our sins, my sin, my filthy wretchedness that I talked to you about over the last two weeks of anger, my filthy wretchedness caused Jesus to die. I'll personalize it. Whatever sin you've committed or multiple sins that you've committed caused Jesus to have to go to the cross. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let no man deceive you, appearing to honor Jesus by telling you that that he's the best man who ever lived while denying his deity. Uh, I remind you that Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Jesus Christ, who lived on this earth, he was God in the flesh. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me being Jesus Christ. Accepting the power of forgiveness is dependent upon a person coming to Jesus as a helpless sinner, realizing his own helplessness and knowing no one will ever be released from that penalty of sin by his own good works. Men and women, they've been trying for millennia to do good, to appease God, but we must actually find ourselves as helpless and hopeless before God. Men and women must call on God in the same desperate and trusting way that a drowning person calls on a lifeguard to rescue him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that person shall be saved. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. May I say, every sinner must pay the penalty of sin, but someone was willing to pay it for you. The great problem today in 2021 is this. Too many people are not willing to accept that someone else paid the penalty for their sin. And they're dying. And they're going to a place called hell. If I had to throw a third firecracker at you this morning with a big bang to get your attention... Forgiveness explodes into a word called justification. Forgiveness explodes into justification. And I recognize in a crowd this size, we don't often use this word justification. It's a new word. I have no earthly clue what you're talking about, Pastor Armstrong. May I just explain this? That when a sinner puts his faith and trust in what Jesus has done on the cross, that sinner's trust is accounted or counted for Righteousness and the payment that Jesus Christ made on the cross, it's applied to that trusting sinner's sins. The payment for his sins is placed into his account, if you will, even as a payment is made like a monetary debt. Then, with all the trusting sinners paid in full, God is able to maintain his absolute righteousness and yet declare this ungodly but trusting sinner to be what I call judiciously righteous. What do I mean? Romans says this. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly his faith is counted for righteousness. With all of the trusting sinner's sins paid for in full. God declared you to be innocent from the penalty. Not the fact but from the penalty of sin. Do you realize factually all of us are still sinners? But we have had that penalty paid. Listen to what Romans 3 says. Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness. For the remission of sins that are passed. Through the forbearance of God. To declare I say. At this time his righteousness. That he might be just. And the justifier of him. Which believeth in Jesus. The trusting Sinner is what I'll, uh, let me say it this way. He's declared positionally righteous. In other words, perfect in God's record, even though in the sinner's experience, he is sin. The sinners, uh, they're released or freed from the penalty of their sins. They reap marvelous benefits of forgiveness of their sins. And justified, justified means this, I'm declared righteous. The purpose of justification is to satisfy God's righteousness. This purpose is explicitly stated in, uh, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. They say that the gospel message is simple enough that a child can understand. Here's the Gospel message, and I realize the gospel message uh, can be defined in different ways, but the gospel is simply this I'm a sinner, I deserve to die. Wait a second, there was a God who said, I don't want you to die, let me send my son to pay for your sin. And he did that, I'm still a sinner, but he paid for my sin. And then he says, Guess what? Before my heavenly father, you're declared righteous because of what my son did for you it's awesome it's fantastic and there's still people that will leave having heard that and say i don't want that that's sad one who has been justified or declared righteous cannot be required by god to suffer the penalty of his sins you know what that penalty is? Eternal separation of God. Praise the Lord. The trusting sinner has been released from that just penalty. Quickly, number four this morning. Some of you are sleeping on me. How can you sleep? Oh, wait, it's warm in here. It's really getting warm. I'm sorry. I don't like to take off my suit coat. I'm still a Baptist. <laughs> but I see so many of you are fainting. If that person's nodding off to you, I I know it's hot in here. Just elbow them. It's okay. We we can accept that physical violence this morning, okay? This is exciting stuff. Firecracker number four. Judicial forgiveness is only possible by the blood. Judicial. To be declared judicially righteous. to To be declared free from my sin. It's only possible by an act that took place called the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood. A basic meaning of forgive is to release from some debt or penalty. Judicial forgiveness or the release from that penalty of sin is dependent upon two factors. The first factor is this. Payment for all of sin was made on the cross by Jesus Christ. I say hallelujah. We owe so much to him. Thank you, Jesus. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. May I just say there was ample proof that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again. It was not in dispute 2,000 years ago. Placement of this payment was made immediately Available unto the account of that person who trusted Christ. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things of heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have to be reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. It took the blood of Jesus to cover your sins. Secondly, judicial forgiveness or the release from that penalty of sin of what we actually deserve. Was made possible again by the blood of Jesus Christ. This takes us directly back to our text that we both read. Really, I would say it respectfully. That passage of scripture reads, read, it's not a firecracker, it's a stick of dynamite. Would you listen again to verse number seven of our text? In whom we have redemption through his blood. What do I have? Because of the blood of Christ, what do I have? The forgiveness of sins. It's the greatest part of this story. The Bible says in Colossians, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Guess what? Even the forgiveness of sins. And when a sinner puts his trust in what Jesus has done for him on the cross, guess what? He's reconciled to God. Charles Charles, Charles, Rowery, Charles Ryrie wrote this. Reconciliation means a change of relationship from hostility to harmony between two persons reconciliation of man with God it's a work of God in which through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross man is brought into a new relationship with his Creator Oh, there's so many ample scriptures for this I encourage you to look there in your notes and and look those up and follow up this week on, on this message in Romans chapter 5 and 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 but listen to Colossians chapter 1 listen to this passage of scripture in Colossians chapter 1 and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now hath he reconciled how was that taking place because he was willing to die and shed his blood not that he had broken bones not that he had something cut off but that he was willing to shed his blood as the ultimate sacrifice for my sins, Ephesians two says that, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enemy, in enmity or destroyed that enmity. Thereby, you you and I were forgiven from God's wrath, and we are at peace with God this morning through the shed blood alone on the cross of Calvary. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We sing so many songs about the blood. Do you know their churches because they think that's that yucky? That they've taken those songs out of singing, God help us. It's the blood. It's only through the blood that we have forgiveness of sins. But here's the greatest firecracker of all firecracker number five. Although the first four are true, and you have to make that decision. Firecracker number five says this Forgiveness restores fellowship with God. Hallelujah. Forgiveness restores fellowship with God. Reconciliation includes more than a change in relationship. It includes a change in fellowship with God, which was broken by your sin and broken by my sin. Fellowship is restored. It's reestablished. It's renewed. And we know that man was created for fellowship with God. And sin marred this fellowship. And it's been marred for thousands of years until God, man, Jesus Christ, he came to this earth. And to forgive means to release that debt, release that penalty of sin. And this is defined as what I refer to as judicial forgiveness. However, release from alienation of fellowship that results from our sins is fellowship forgiveness. And someone said the difference between the two is is God's courtroom and God's living room. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. That at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens... From the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the what? By the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was forever a separation between God and man. My friend, now we have access to God. Now, he has reconciled us, from, uh, uh, reconciled us, which includes forgiveness that takes away that alienation of fellowship or that wall, that partition of fellowship caused by our sin. God takes us out of the courtroom, the judicial forgiveness, and he invites us into the living room. I wonder how many of you this morning is in the living room or still in the courtroom. The sinner has been reconciled it's no longer restricted to the barn or the, the outhouse or the, the front porch. He's now a welcome guest in the living room. First John says, That which ye have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to accept the forgiveness of what Jesus has done. I want to be invited to be with my Heavenly Father. I want to be with both of them, my Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There's, in the Old Testament, we understand there's a dispensation. Now, A dispensation is a period of time. And the Bible is broken up into dispensations or periods of time. The, obviously, the things in the Old Testament, uh, we don't live under the law. We don't stone people today. We don't live under that law. Praise the Lord, we don't live under the law. I wouldn't be here this morning. I'd have been stoned a long time ago by my wife. So um, um, we don't live under the law. We live in what's a new dispensation of time referred to as grace or the church age. I'm thankful for that. Uh, But understand this, that in the Old Testament, no one had direct access to God except who? The priest. That's it. And I did not. I could just be a, a farmer. I could, I could be a, a sheep herder. I could be a, a tax collector. I could be a businessman. I could be the king. And I did not have access to God. I had to go through a priest. I had to offer an offering. My friend, let me tell you something. That if you're weak in your faith, you've forgotten about, you've never heard of, listen to Hebrews chapter 4. Let us, therefore, now come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you know what? You don't need a priest to talk to God. You're invited into his living room. Yet we live so alienated from God. I ask the Lord to help me to be able to explain this message. May, uh, May I just tell you, this message is... It's way more important than my messages on anger. Yes, we need to work on our anger, but this message is a critical doctrine that you must understand, you must believe, you must know, you must be able to tell others about. And that is that the forgiveness of my sin is the greatest part of salvation. There's a boy. He's playing ball. Many boys and girls have played ball, throw, catch, but oftentimes we, we throw a ball against the side of a building or the side of our house. How many of you ever done that? Done that? Throwing a ball and you have a glove and it comes back to you and you chase it and you throw it again and, and there's that constant thud against the side of the garage or side of the house. Well, let's say that you weren't exactly perfect. And you threw the ball where? Through the window. The owner comes out. His window's been shattered, and uh, you're the owner of that house. There's glass everywhere. How dare that boy throw that ball through the window? And you say, You know what? Ah, I'm going to forgive you. I'll go down to Lowe's or Home Depot. I'm going to buy another window. I'm going to replace that broken window. That's judicial forgiveness. But, I tell the boy, you're not allowed to play in my yard anymore. You have to go play somewhere else. There's no fellowship. Fellowship has been broken. Now listen, let's spiritualize that. Every one of us, every one of us, we've thrown the ball against God's house. The problem is, is that 100% of us have thrown the ball through the window. Because we're sinners. We've done wrong. And listen to what God has done. You know what God has done? He says, and I'm not being trite here. It's an illustration. God says, don't worry. I own Home Depot and Lowe's. I'll go grab a window. I'm going to replace that window. That's judicial forgiveness. Now, what he did is he sent his son to replace that window through his blood. But then God does something else. He says, now, I know that you did wrong, but Jesus has replaced that window. And that window's as good as new. It's as if it were never broken. And just as you're about to leave because you know it's been fixed and I did wrong... God the Father says, "Oh wait a minute! No, you don't have to leave. Come on back, come on back here. Let me open the door. Come on into my living room. Let's fellowship. We all deserve to be the homeowner says. Hey, listen, you broke my window. I replaced it. No harm, no foul. I replaced it. You're forgiven. Don't come back though. I don't want another broken window. God didn't do that." He says, your sin broke the window. My son Jesus fixed it. And you know what? I love you so much. The door's wide open. Why don't you come on into my living room? Enter boldly. Don't enter through the back door. Don't enter through a side door. Come boldly and enter in. That's fellowship forgiveness. He wants to spend time with you. All right. Close your Bibles. Put up your notes. I want everybody to look up here and we're just about finished with our message. All right. Every single one of us have thrown the ball of sin through the window and we've broken the window. Do you understand? Everybody with me there? Every one of us, we've broken the window because of our sin. God in heaven said something has to be done to pay for that broken window. In other words, there is a transgression called sin. You cannot enter because you're a sinner. You cannot enter into the presence of God unless that window is fixed. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and he replaced the window. And he made it as if it had never been broken. You've been reconciled. You've been made whole. But listen, you have to accept that. It's been done. The window's been fixed. But he says, wait a second, don't leave. Don't leave. You don't have to go. No way. Come back. Come back. Come on in. Are you with me? Millions and billions of people refused the invitation to come in ah, window's fixed, I'm not going back there, and they walk away, and God's begging, you understand, the penalty's been saved, I forgive you, the forgiveness is there, come in, fellowship, and here's where there's a misunderstanding about the forgiveness of God, we know Jesus came, but we still, ah, That's 2,000 years. That's an old story. Yes, that's an Easter story. Uh, But I still want to live my life my way. And we turn around and we reject the fellowship with God and we walk away. I'm looking at hundreds of people this morning. How many of you are actually sitting in the living room this morning? You accepted God's invitation. Come on in. How many of you are out in the front porch? Yeah, the, uh, yeah. see, the window's fixed. That's nice. Uh, not for me. Wait, the door's open. Come on in. No, uh, it's not for me. Uh, I'm going to walk away and live my life my way. You see, here's my great problem with these really quick salvation prayers. We don't understand. Why we're being saved. What we're being saved from. Jesus died for our our sins. He offers us forgiveness through his blood. And yet we still reject him. I'm asking you this question. Are you on the front porch? The forgiveness has already been paid for through Jesus. But you're still on the outside. Or have you come boldly and you've believed And you're sitting in the living room. In other words, I'm a believer. I'm in. I'm adopted. I'm thankful I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I'm in. Which one are you? You can only be one of two. The forgiveness part paid 2,000 years ago because your sin threw the ball through the window and shattered it. That part's done. It never has to be done again. Praise God. But some still see that window of forgiveness. They see that it's been replaced. For them, I'm the one who broke the window. It's been fixed. But yet, we turn around and we walk away from God. Or, I accepted that invitation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come on in, Brent. Are you in or are you out? Father, Thank you for the freedom that you've given to us. Thank you for allowing us to get through this service. Father, I ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would work in hearts. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're not going to play the piano just yet. In the quietness of the moment, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. As pastor, your visitor, you're a regular attender, you're a member. I'm just going to ask you this. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. I obviously would not be able to see who raised their hands, but I want you to make a public declaration this morning. I'm in the living room, and here's my hand. I, by testimony, I'm in the living room. If that is your testimony, would you raise your hand? I'm in the living room. I've accepted Jesus Christ. I know him to be my Lord and Savior. Here's my hand, and then you can put it right back down. Obviously, I can't look at all five sections at the same time, so I did not see who raised their hands who didn't. But in a crowd this size, I am supremely confident that there are those who said, I'm still out in the front porch. I under- For the first time, I understand it. He fixed the window. He forgave my sin. But I'm still on the front porch. I'm still out in the yard. I'm still trying to find another way in. And there's only one way through Jesus Christ. I'm not in. But I'd like to be.